0: (laughs) Let's go ahead and and open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And while you're doing that, let me take a moment to welcome our West Campus. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to be with you. John has been preaching there and been doing an incredible job. But Christy is at the hospital right now having a baby. And um, John felt like it would be a good idea that he be there. And so I have the privilege of being with you this morning. And this morning we're concluding our series that we've entitled Close Encounters. We've been looking at four stories surrounding the birth of Jesus. The story of, of Zachariah when, when he had that angelic encounter before the birth of John the Baptist. Mary's story when she was told that even though she was a virgin she was going to give birth to a son and, and then the encounter that Joseph had as Joseph was told by that angel to go ahead and marry Mary because she was still a virgin and and he was to give him the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. But today I want us to look at this final story where we see this angelic encounter in the birth stories of Jesus. And this is the story of the shepherds. We we know that story, don't we? Jesus was was born in Bethlehem and it was that evening of his birth. and, And the Bible says that an angel appeared to the shepherds and they were terrified. They were horrified as this angel appeared. And the angel said, do not be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. Because in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And then the Bible says a great host of the heavenly angels came down and began glorifying God. And, and that's one of the things that angels do. They praise God around the throne. They, they serve God's people and they speak for God. They share God's message with, with God's people. But here were these angels and they were glorifying God. And when the angels went back up into heaven... The shepherds went to Bethlehem, found the place where Jesus was born, and they worshipped him. And then they went from there and began to tell everybody what they had seen. And they went back to their fields, glorifying God and, and praising God. Now, and as we read this story, we discover three truths that I think are incredibly important for us understanding Why Jesus came to earth in the first place. And we see these truths in the story surrounding these shepherds. And so I want to give them to you. Here's the first one. No matter who you are, God loves you. Let me say that again. No matter who you are, God loves you. Listen to what it says in verses 8 and 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and and they were terrified. Now imagine that you were God and you want to announce the most amazing, the most incredible news that has ever been given, news that will literally change the course of history. The birth of your one and only son. The one who will be the savior of the whole world. The one whom the nation of Israel has been praying for and and hoping for and waiting for for literally hundreds of years. Now, who do you announce that to? Who do you share that news with? Who do you tell? Well, God chose shepherds. Now, here's the amazing thing. There is only one birth announcement revealed in scripture, there's only one invitation from God to come and visit his son, the newborn king. And that invitation goes out to a bunch of shepherds. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Throughout history, the history of Israel, shepherding was a noble profession. Abel was the first shepherd. And then we move on and we discover that Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses, the lawgiver, the one who delivered God's people from slavery, he was a shepherd. David, the great king of Israel, he was a shepherd. God calls himself a shepherd throughout scripture. And God calls us sheep throughout scripture. Now understand, that's not a compliment when God calls us sheep. But by the time of the first century, shepherding had lost its luster. Shepherds noun, in the first century made up the lowest class of people. They came in just ahead of lepers. As a matter of fact, the Talmud, which is a collection of interpretations and insights from rabbis, said this. No help is to be given to the heathen or to shepherds. And so understand shepherds were not looked at very highly religiously. These men were considered unclean because of this, they could not participate in the feast or the holy days that made up the Jewish religion, so they were outcast. Socially, they were outcast. Since they were constantly on the move to to discover new pastures for their flock, they were looked on with suspicion, kind of the way that that we would look at gypsies or we would look at carnival workers today. Whenever a carnival would come into town and, and something was stolen, people would naturally assume that, that those carnival workers took it. In. And whenever something was stolen in, in Israel, they would assume that the shepherds that were going around from place to place finding pasture were the ones who stole it. Morally, they were often accused of being thieves. If someone came, something came up missing... The shepherds were the ones to blame. They were not even permitted to give testimony in court because their word was considered untrustworthy. The point is, you would expect an event like the birth of Christ to be announced to the most important people in the nation. The political leaders, the the religious leaders, the military leaders, the wealthy merchants, the men and women of distinction. But none of them... None of them got the word of Christ's birth. None of them received this angelic message. So why? Why did God choose to announce the birth of His Son to shepherds? I believe it was because He wanted us to see that His love is available to all. He loves the lowest as much as He loves the King. He loves me. And He loves you. Now some people think like this. If God is even aware that I exist, He probably doesn't have a high opinion of me. Deep down, there are many people that look at God that way. They think that God doesn't know them, God doesn't care about them. And if God does know them, God certainly doesn't love them. But you need to understand that no matter how insignificant... You may think you are, God loves you, God cares for you, you are important to him, and he has an incredible plan for your life. The Bible makes it clear that over and over and over again, it is oftentimes the lowly, the down and out, the downtrodden, who hear God's word, respond to God's word, and are used by God. Listen to what Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. You need to understand that that just because of where you've been and what you've done, that, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God loves you and God cares for you. Someone said it this way. If God were revealed in the wisdom of man, only the wise could know it. If God were revealed in the strength of man, only the strong could know it. If God were revealed in the accomplishments of man, only the proud could know Him. If God were revealed in the wealth of man, only the rich could know Him. But God chose to reveal Himself in and to those who were despised by the world so that all can know Him. And can I get an amen there? You see, no matter who you are, God loves you and He has a plan for your life. Here's the second truth we see in this story. No matter what you've done, God will save you. The first truth, no matter who you are, God will love you. Second truth, no matter what you've done, God will save you. Listen to what it says in in verses 10 and 12. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now here they were, out in their field, minding their own business, tending their sheep, when this angel appeared and gave him this message. They were terrified, they were horrified, but the angel relieves their fears. He says, I am bringing you good news, news of great joy that is for all people. Now, the word good news is the Greek word euangelizo, which is the word for gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. But it's also the word from which we get our word evangelism. You see, evangelism is simply sharing the good news ...with other people. That's all it is. It's sharing the good news. A Savior has come. And notice, it is good news of great joy. That word great is the Greek word mega. And the word literally means exceedingly, abundantly, large, mighty. In other words, what the angel said is this. I am bringing you some really good news that is the absolute best news... You have ever heard and then I've discovered that there are a lot of things in our world today that cause us to have fears I mean job security whenever there are layoffs we we get concerned about those things our health we we begin to feel bad or or we we find a lump or we find a spot and and we get concerned about that terrorism Uh, That's something that concerns us today as we get older and and things don't seem to work as good as they used to and we have aches and pains that we didn't have before we begin to get a little bit concerned about growing old but in the midst of all of this in the midst of all of our fears in the midst of all the things that that bring us fear the angel said that there's good news that brings great joy in other words. In other words, when we look at all of the things of this world that that cause fear and trepidation and trembling, in the midst of the fear of this world, there is something that will relinquish our fears. There is something that will remove our fears. It's good news that will bring us great joy. Now what is it? It's this. A Savior has been born. He is Christ The Lord. Now, each of those words are important Savior, Christ, and Lord. You see, because we all need a Savior. Do you remember what the angel told Joseph? He said, You were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. We all need a Savior because we are all sinners. Regardless of where you were born, regardless of how you were raised, regardless of how you have lived, you need a Savior. And the reason is because of sin. Each and every one of us have been infected by a deadly disease, a disease that is called sin. A disease that leads us to rebel against our Creator. That's what sin does. Sin causes us to rebel against God. Sin causes us to think our way is better than God's way. And this rebellion leads to death, eternal death, separation from God for all eternity. And the only cure for the disease of sin is a savior. Someone who will come and take our sin away. Now let me just share quickly. Because I think some of us misunderstand. We are sinners in two ways. All of us are. We are born into sin. There are things that, that I have. There are appearances that I have. There are defects that I have that are a result of the parents that I have. Several years ago, my mother was coming over to our house visiting and she gave me this this thing of shampoo. And I looked at it. And, and it was for thinning hair. And I said, Mom, what is this for? She said, well, I thought you might need it. And that caused me to have to look in the mirror. And I went, oh, my goodness. My hair's thinning. She was at my house on Christmas Day. And she brought me something else. And it was something for dry eyes. And I went, what's this for? And she said, well, you have dry eyes. I said, I do. (laughs) I've never noticed. She said, you rub them all the time. I said, I do. I looked at Sherry and I said, do I rub my eyes all the time? Sherry said, and I thought, well, sooner or later, I guess I will. You see, there are things that we are born with because of the parents we have. And our parents, Adam and Eve, Caused us to be born with a defect called sin. David said it this way. He said, In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, the moment I was born, I was born with a birth defect called sin. That's why you don't have to teach a child to be selfish. That's why you don't have to teach a child to throw a fit. Noah, our our grandson is here from Oklahoma, and he is the most precious little boy alive right now. There will be another one in the next couple of hours, but he's precious. But i got to tell you, at 15 months old, in Oklahoma, I didn't see this, but, man, he can throw a fit. 15 months old. If he doesn't get his way when he wants it, he will sit there and he'll start screaming and just flail his arms. I'm thinking, who did he see do that? Mary or Brian? I I don't know. The point is, he is born with a sin nature that will cause him to throw a temper tantrum, that will cause him to be selfish. We all are born with that nature. And as we get old enough, you know what we do? We choose to sin. Every one of us, we choose to rebel against God. We determine that our way is better than God's way. And sin is rebellion against our Creator. And the consequence is death, eternal death. So we need a Savior. And Jesus is our Savior. But notice, it not only says that Jesus is our Savior, it says that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah. You see, He's not only the Savior who forgives us for our sins, He is the Messiah, the Christ, who will set us free from our sins. That's what the Jews were looking for. When they were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for someone who would set them free from their oppressors. Now, they were anticipating a political Messiah, a political Christ who would come and, and break the yoke of slavery, the Roman slavery that they were under. But little did they know that that's not why Jesus came. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and And the life. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Will set you free. When Jesus comes into our life, he frees us, but it's not a political freedom. He frees us from whatever it is that binds us, that oppresses us, that has us chained. He can do that. Next week, we're starting a series that we're entitled Revolution. And what revolution is all about is is that resolutions don't work. We don't need to come to January the 1st and make a whole bunch of resolutions. What we need is we need for Christ to do a revolution in our life. Why? Because our willpower is never enough. That's why some of you here today have, have tried and tried and tried To break the yoke of slavery. It may be an addiction of pornography. It may be an addiction to alcohol. It may be some other type of addiction. But you have tried to break that yoke and you can't. You want to, you long to, you yearn to, but you can't. The reason you can't is because you aren't capable on your own. You need a Christ. You need a Messiah who will come and break the yoke of that, that bondage for you. That's why the Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You don't have to live in bondage anymore. Jesus came to set us free. He is the Savior who will forgive us. He is the Christ who will free us. But notice third, he is the Lord who will guide us. The word Lord means master. It means the one who directs, the one who guides, the one who leads. And and I don't know about you, but, but I've discovered that in my life, when I go my way, most often it's the wrong way. You know, like the song I used to sing when I was growing up, and some of you did, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Do you feel that way at times? I mean, you don't want to, but you do. Why? Because you're going at it your way rather than God's way. We need a Lord, someone who will come and guide us and direct us and understand. That baby that was born in that manger in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago that the shepherds were given this message about. He is a Savior who will forgive you whatever you've done. He is a christ who will deliver you regardless of what it is that has you in chains. And He is a Lord who will guide and direct your life if you will let Him. You see, here's the message. No matter who you are, God loves you. And no matter what you've done, Jesus will save you. The good news is for everybody. But here's the key. Hearing the message And receiving the message are two different things. And so here were the shepherds. The angel came, delivered this incredible message. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. They had heard the message, but had they received it. You see, we must act on the good news for the good news to be good news for us. Notice what it says in verses 15 and 16. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. As soon as the angels delivered the message, the shepherds set out for Bethlehem. You see, it wasn't enough for them simply to hear the message They needed to respond to the message. They needed to act on the message. Now listen very carefully. It's our actions that prove the sincerity of our beliefs. Let me say that again. It's our actions that prove the sincerity of our beliefs. James said it this way in chapter 2 verse 17 of James. He said in the same way, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by works, is dead. You see, when given the message, people respond in different ways. Some people doubt the message. Well, this message can't be true. And there's a lot of people that doubt the message of Christ today. There are other people that ignore the message. I, I don't care. I don't care whether it's true or not. I don't care about Jesus. I don't care About spiritual things. There are others who debate the message. How can you know? Prove it. I don't believe you. Let's debate it. And then there are those who reject the message. It's not true. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear about it. But then. There are some. Not a lot. But there are some who believe the message. And they receive the message. You see. It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to look into the manger and say, that's a nice story. That's a cute little baby. We've not only got to hear the message, we've got to receive it into our lives. We've got to receive it for ourselves. But there's one final thing. And that is this. When we respond to the message, God will change us. Look at verses 17 and follow when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now look at verse 17 again. When they had seen him, when they had personally experienced Before I go into anything else, let me say, it's not enough to have secondhand knowledge of Jesus. You've got to receive Him personally. You've got to know Him personally. You you can't get to heaven on your grandparents' faith. You can't get to heaven, heaven on your parents' faith. You can't get to heaven on a neighbor's faith. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And when you do, that relationship will change you. Now, notice two things that the shepherds did. First, they went out and shared the message. They didn't pull up a bell of hay and make themselves comfortable. No, they immediately went out and became messengers of the message they had received. Now, notice, the message that they shared had nothing to do with their angelic encounter. There are a lot of people that get caught up in the secondary things. And some of us would say, well, if an angel appeared to me, that's a pretty big deal. But they didn't even make a big deal of that. The big deal was that baby who was in that manger because he was the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Understand, the message that we share is all about Jesus. They came to the manger to see Jesus, and they left the manger proclaiming Jesus. And that word spread... In verse 17, literally means to make known in a way that can be understood. We are here today because those shepherds didn't keep quiet. They had good news that they had to share. Let me give you some figures. They say, and they are researchers. Researchers say that over 60% of our community is unchurched. And headed into a Christless eternity. We're in the Bible Belt. And 60% of our community is unchurched. And headed into a Christless eternity. And as our nation gets older, the figures get worse. Tom Rainer, the, the president of Lifeway, and his son wrote a book on the millennials, which is the generation that was born between 1980 and the year 2000. There are 78 million millennials. And and in their research and questioning thousands of people, they discovered that less than 10 to 15% of millennials, those born between 1980 and 2000, have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. 60% today of our community is unchurched. But as our nation gets younger, if something doesn't happen, we're going to discover that more and more and more people are growing up and living their lives without Jesus. Worldwide, it's even worse. Worldwide, there are 6,000 people groups representing almost 3 billion people who have no access or little access to the good news. These are people that we know and people that we don't know. These are people that, that look like us and people that don't look like us. But every one of them is a person that God loves and Jesus came to save. And it's up to us to share the good news. There's a story, I, I don't know if it's true or not. It was quoted by someone as true, but a story of the U.S. senator whose father was a strong Christian. And his father was in Washington visiting visiting him one week when he was having an open house for the ambassador from the country of Belgium. And at that open house, the senator was a little bit concerned because his father was such a devout Christian that, that everyone he came in contact with, he wanted to talk to them about Jesus. And sure enough, he went up to this ambassador and began to talk to him about Jesus and his need for Jesus it embarrassed the senator short time after this the senator's dad died and the senator received a bouquet of flowers in his office from the ambassador of Belgium and and on the card with the flowers it said this in honor of the only man in America who ever asked me about my soul let me ask you a question When you die, is there going to be anyone that will say they cared enough about me to talk to me about my soul? To talk to me about my relationship with Jesus? Understand, when we encounter Jesus in a life-changing way, one of the things that we will want to do is share that message with others. But notice, they not only became messengers, they began to worship the Savior. Now, what is revealing here is they went back to their same lives as shepherds in the fields, but they weren't the same. After we experience the Christ of Christmas, we may go back to our old routine, we may go back to what we considered boring lives. But we will go back praising and rejoicing in Jesus. You see, when we meet the Savior, we discover that worship isn't about a place. Worship is about a person. And so everywhere the shepherds went, they were praising God and glorifying Him because they now had a Savior who was Christ, their Lord. You see... Worship isn't about what we do on Sunday morning. Sure, we come together on Sunday morning and we sing songs and we pray and we open up the word. And this is corporate worship. But worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what we should be doing because of who Christ is in us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. You know, people say you can worship God out on the lake as well as you can on, in the church. And that's true. You can if that's what you're doing. You can worship God on the golf course as good as you can in, in the church building. That's true. If you're worshiping and you're worshiping God, you see they became worshipers. And I believe with all my heart, when we come to know Jesus, the one who was in that manger, we will become messengers of the gospel and we will become worshipers of the Savior. When we discover the good news, bad news no longer has the same effect. And so let me ask you, have you been transformed have you become a witness? Have you become a worshiper? Is Jesus your Savior, the one who has forgiven you? Is he your Messiah, the Christ, who has set you free? Is he your Lord? Are you allowing him to guide and direct and lead your life? Corey ten Boone once said, If Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, I would still be lost. And so would I. And so would you. You see, it's not enough that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The question is, have you received him? Has he become your Savior who has forgiven you? Has he become your Christ who is setting you free? Has he become your Lord who is guiding and directing your life? If he's not, then I'm here to tell you that there's nothing more important for you today than to give your heart and life to Jesus. And so I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never received Jesus, then I want to encourage you right here, right now to pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. As a sinner in need of a savior. I need forgiveness. Please forgive me. I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave. To save me. Today. I'm giving my life to you. Thank you Jesus for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. And here's what I believe. I believe there are not only people here today who need the Savior. I believe there are people here today who need the Christ. You've come to Jesus as your Savior and you really meant business. But, but you haven't discovered how you can be set free from the chains that bind you. And so I want to encourage you right now, and if you're in bondage, to just turn it all over to Jesus. Let Him fill you with His Holy Spirit. And let Him do what only He can do. Change you from the inside out. Maybe you're here in... And- And you're doing things your way. You've given your life to Jesus. You've accepted Him as your Savior. You've discovered forgiveness. But somewhere along the way, you've decided, I'm going to live life my way. You're in rebellion. Sometimes we call it backsliding. And you need to let go of the reins and let Jesus take over again. And so if that's you, you need to be set free, you need to give him control I want us to pray again right now and I want us to turn over everything to him so bow your head with your head bowed with your eyes closed, if you're a believer you know what to pray you give it all to him ask him to forgive you for for doing it your way Give him back control. Father God, we know that Jesus didn't just come to forgive us. We know that he came to set us free. We know that he came to guide and lead and direct our lives. Oh, Father, we need him to do that in our lives this morning. I pray right now, Father, that those who are in bondage will be set free. Those who are wandering will relinquish control back to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.